And with that glorious start, we can certainly begin to say, as Mary would have, my soul magnifies the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord will reign forever. Together, with joyful hearts, let us worship God. Pray with me, friends. 
You are a God of bounteous gifts, O Lord, and we bless your name. You bestow mercies without end. Your people stand upright. You give sight to the blind. You have no patience with injustice, and the meek you do not turn away. We open our hearts to your presence and our doors to the stranger. We gather as your people, brought together by your grace and made one by your love. Amen. We are an imperfect and impatient people. And so we use these printed words to confess our sin corporately together. You have taught us to be patient and promised to supply our needs, O God. Yet we grow weary of waiting and restless with our wants. We blame our troubles on brothers and sisters, withholding from them the tolerance and care you have shown to us. O God, forgive our indulgence and help us to stand firm. In Christ you showed patience with the world in spite of the cross. Teach us to be patient, that in Christ we may have endurance, despite our need, and thus find joy. Amen. Know that we are assured of God's forgiveness, for we have a high priest set over the household of God, Jesus Christ, the new and living way. Let us therefore make our approach in sincerity and confidence, our guilty hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed with pure water. The giver of the promise is faithful. Last Sunday, we lit the candle of peace. On the first Sunday of Advent, what? Oh, do I have to restart? What? Okay. We lit the candle to signify the hope of Jesus' arrival. Today, we add the candle that represents the joy of the news that was ultimately shared with them by the angels and the angel chorus. Our deepest joy is in God and in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Like hope and peace, joy is a gift from God. It overtakes us and fills us when we remember what God has done and what God has promised to do. One of the most joyous verses in the Bible comes as Luke tells us about the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. It is the opening line in the one of the world's most famous stories. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. Luke 2.8. 
These shepherds were terrified at the sight of the angel army that accompanied one who told of a baby who had been born nearby. The story tells us that with joy they ran with haste to see for themselves. To the least likely on the sociological scale of that time, God's messengers had revealed the good news of a great joy for all people. Most of us wonder who was left to take care of the sheep. The sheep are God's precious creatures, too. The Bible doesn't tell us, but some think that the angel stayed behind to care for the sheep. So like many who are part of the Christmas story, that which the world might think to be unimportant is significant to God. Isaiah promised to those who would listen, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. He was talking about the return of Israelites, their homes, but his Profound privacy, forth telling the word of God. So with you now is your time to grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. faithfulness we pray you to send your joy into our hearts remind us that you will come on at unexpected times but that we should be living lives that prepare us to be always ready for your appearing may we know you are fully and show to the world that it will buy within hearts that direct new actions. Please live in us and help us live. You may message reveal, revealed so long ago. Help us honor you. Incarnation. Amen. Thank you very much, Seacat's wife. Person Cassie gets to stay with us. And it's my joy and privilege to welcome all of our young people up to the chancel. We've got a lot of symbols and signs here in the chancel. Come on up, friends. Come on up. We've got a lot to look at this particular Sunday. Here we are, the third Sunday of Advent. Sure. You want to do number 11? What is it? What's in there, Wes? A king. Where would the king go? 
Y'all can sit on the seats. We've got now a star, a sheep, and a king. And Miss Didi is tracing Miss Seacat. Cassie did a marvelous job for us this morning. She's being our kingly queen here. All these signs and symbols here in the sanctuary pointing to what? What's coming, friends? Christmas is coming. And why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas, Miss Maddie? The birth of Jesus. But while we're waiting, there's a lot that we need to do. What do we need to do, Miss Resseter? Well, we can think about all the things we're preparing. And as we're preparing, we're trying to be patient for these things. But sometimes it's hard. Maybe one of the things that we can do to help us with our patience is to think about what some of these signs and symbols might mean. You've been doing your Advent calendars at home, right? And opening up each night to see what could be there. That's kind of an anticipation or an exercising of your patience muscle. How about this sign or symbol that we have? Have you noticed our Advent wreath? And if you've been listening each week, you know that our themes for these four candles have been, anybody remember? What was the first Sunday? Anybody remember? Hope. And then another symbol? Peace. How about this Sunday? What was this Sunday? Love's coming. Love will be next week. Joy. That's right. Joy. Well done, friends. So hope, peace, joy, and love. Now, why do you think that the candles, three of the candles are purple? Anybody have any ideas about the symbolism for the purple? Miss Schuyler, do I see your hand? Um, this is just your guess. Okay, I'll take your guess. Absolutely. Spot on. Purple is a royal color because the dye at that point in time was very expensive. So only royalty could afford to wear purple things. So we celebrate Christ as a king, and it would be very appropriate for him to wear purple. But here's another thing. Who are you are, are, are artists and like to mix colors? What... What colors go into purple? Miss Resseter, red and blue. A lot of people knew red and blue. Now, aside from the silly season of politics that we just went through, red and blue can mean a couple of things. Red can be associated with when you're mad, right? You see pictures of people with their teapots boiling over. They're mad. What about blue? What can blue sound sad, right? So the red and the blue could be a mixture of mad and sad. What about the white candle? What do you think the white candle might symbolize? Christ, happy. Actually, both your answers are correct because on Christmas Eve and then on Christmas Day, won't we light the Christ candle to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world? Absolutely, Miss Resseter. And it brings us this happiness to have that. So let's get back to why do we have a pink candle that the sea cats lit for us so beautifully on the third Sunday of Advent. Why would it be pink? You have an idea for us, Miss Malibur? Yeah, like love and caring. Love and caring. A mixture of things. Perfect. It is just that. It's a mixture of the purple candle and the white candle in pink and bringing together the sad, the mad, and the glad because... This third Sunday of Advent is also known by the Latin word gaudet, which means rejoice. Now, rejoicing doesn't always mean happy, happy. Rejoicing can also mean I may be sad or I may be mad, but I know that God is my Savior and God is my light. 
and I can still rejoice regardless of my external or internal circumstances. So no matter whether you're feeling mad, sad, or glad, God's God's got something for you. Hope, peace, joy, and love. You guys want to pray about that? Yeah? God in heaven, we do give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the many signs and symbols that point to the coming of the birth of the baby Jesus. We thank you for the ways that we can be the lights in the world, reflecting God's light. And we ask that you would show in us and show forth from us hope, peace, joy, and love. We pray this all in the Master's name. Now, before I send you into the kingdom to remind you that you are the light of the world, I invite you to each take a little tea candle light that you can take home and add to your symbology and to your routines as you prepare for Advent. That was very honest of you, Skylar. Thank you, darling. Everybody get one? There's plenty. Everybody gets a candle. Have a great time in the kingdom, friends. Want one too, sweetie? Plenty, plenty, plenty. Well done, Missy Cat. Well, I have a couple of announcements for us, and one of those concerns cookies. As you know, I eat from the four basic food groups, uh, sugar, fat, cholesterol, and preservatives, and I do find that those are present in most cookies. If you have an overabundance of them this Christmas tide, you can always wrap them up and bring them to the church, either to the kitchen, the office, but label them. And we'll give them to the Parish Life Committee, who will find a great use for them. Rob Rhodes is here, and so, Rob, I'm going to ask uh, you to make announcements, and then we'll... I have to make sure I know the difference between Rob and Rod. Rod is in front of then we'll get to Rod and Jim. Good morning. Today's stewardship report is a uh, mixed message. We are most grateful for 18 new commitments uh, received for the first time this year, totaling nearly $24,000, and for the 200 pledges received from those who pledged last year. While the total number of commitments received is about the same as this time last year, the total dollar commitments are down nearly $30,000. We would need an additional $70,000 in commitments just to reach last year's total. We must balance our budget. Because of generous gifts to our endowment, we're able to make modest distribution from gifts that are designated to support church programs and facilities to supplement our current year giving. However, by necessity, these annual distributions are limited to ensure the perpetual value of the endowment. Due to the uncertainty of the stewardship campaign, I'm not confident recommending a budget for 2017 at this point. While expenses are projected to be flat for next year, it's difficult to recommend any salary increases for our pastors and staff until we have a better sense of our total contributions. 
If you intend to make a commitment for 2017, I would encourage you to do so at your earliest convenience by either completing an estimate of giving card and sending it to Seska Corrin at the church office or by going online through our website and completing the commitment form. Now, more than ever, every one counts. Thank you for your support of our church's ministry and mission. Thanks, Rob. Rod Froman and Jim Evinger are here, and they'll tell you about a study that's been happening in the life of this parish uh, over much of the year. And would you like a portable microphone, or do you want to use this one? Portable microphone, that would be good. I'll give you one right up here. Come on up. Good morning. Rod and I are two clergy members of the Presbytery of Genesee Valley, and this day we come on behalf of tens of thousands of Presbyterians in our six-county area. We are worshiping with you, but more importantly, we are here to give thanks to God for a study that has been underway through your mission commission. So I am going to call at this time Jeanette Henderson, Lee Fox, Dan Traina, and Reverend Bruce Boak to come forward. Scripture. Uh, These are the words of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. He says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? And that's what these folks have been doing through eight gatherings together is counting the cost, sitting down. The word literally in the Greek translated doesn't mean to sit like sit in a pew. It means to set down. These are very committed, very involved missional witnesses, and they have taken time out of their schedule for a year to lay that work aside and to reflect upon your mission involvements. It's been a significant commitment involving research. The, the Brown Butcher paper timeline in the Fellowship Hall, that was but one of the ways that they engaged the congregation. So we have a certificate, which I will read. Presented this 11th day of December 2016, Certificate of Completion. This is the third congregational team out of five in our pilot project to complete this series. 
This certificate is awarded to the First Presbyterian Church of Pittsford in recognition for your efforts in completing a one-year mission study entitled Activating Our Missional Congregation from the Mission and Advocacy Committee of the Presbytery of Genesee Valley, K. Van Nostrand Chair, Susan Orr Presbyter, Reverend Rod Froman, Reverend James S. Evinger. Well, what did they do? (laughs) They went through 137 pages of this workbook beginning on October of 2015. And uh, this just isn't Whistling Dixie, folks. We put them through the ropes. And if they look tired and haggard, it's it's our fault. (laughs) Now... What exactly did we do? What exactly did we do? We worked on six key ideas about what it means to be a missional congregation. And those six ideas are congregational identity. That is, who are you? And more accurately, what is your story? You have a story, you tell a story, but also the story tells you. There's something about this congregation that is unique, and that story drives who you are, it drives your identity, just like your family story drives your own family identity. Then we also look at vitality. What do you do in the life of this church to hold up mission? And I've been in your worship enough many times to know that almost every Sunday this congregation mentions something about its mission in this area and around the world. Then we looked at process. Process has to do with the nuts and the bolts. Is there a budget? You heard the message earlier. Is there a budget for mission? Are there appropriate committee processes at work? Are there duplicates? Are there triplicates? Are there quadruplicates? How about your motivation? How are volunteers motivated? We spent time looking at that. Do we support our volunteers? Do we recognize them? Do we help them? Do we encourage their motivation, their intrinsic motivation that they bring to the missional effort? And what about your context? Your context can be both geographical, that is, Monroe County, Pittsburgh, and it can be around the world, Kenya. What is your context? Geographically, but also what is your context relationally? With whom do you have relationships, formal and informal? And how do you think those contexts through, those relational contexts through, is in your mission? And then we looked at one of the most ticklish things of all congregation, and that is moving beyond toxic charity. Toxic charity is the kind of charity that keeps a person perpetually dependent. Transformational charity is one that helps move them along, move the recipient along to towards self-reliance. All of that is right here in this workbook. They got this one chapter at a time, but today we're giving them the whole kit and caboodle. Now you're supposed to take this home and do as John Calvin did, read, mark, and inwardly digest it. And we thank you very much. You've done a wonderful job. Thank you. The, we all...
And we also want to acknowledge the participation and contributions of Ron Pollock. Thank you very much. And it was nice to see that for Jeanette, you wore a tartan tie today. It is the clergy tartan, too, in case anybody wants to know. This is the official Presbyterian tartan tie. If you're a Presbyterian, this is your tartan. And, and, and you always wear a Rod Froman tie, I could tell. We do give thanks for the missional commitment as reflected by this congregation, even in its mission statement, reflecting that we focus on worship, prayer, education, and especially mission. So thank you, gentlemen, for guiding them through this study and for giving us that wonderful tome as its result. Our epistle lesson for today is taken from James, chapter 5, and Martin Luther is once believed to have remarked that the epistle of James was a letter of straw. Remember, of course, that Luther was coming from the orientation that says we were saved by grace through faith, not by works. The epistle of James is still kept in the canon because it also recognizes that saving by grace. But it says in response, therefore, we can have these responsible actions. And I invite you to hear this wisdom given to each one of us. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And as you patiently prepare to open your hymnals to 819, Be Still My Soul, I wanted to enlighten us as to the selection. Does anybody remember the movie Chariots of Fire? telling the story of Eric Liddell, who was able to run for the glory of God in the 1924 Olympics. He then went from that victory to continuing to serve as a missionary in China until, of course, the Japanese invaded and he was placed in an internment camp, at which point in time it was discovered that he had a brain tumor. And as he lay dying, he passed a note out through the barracks window to the children asking that they would sing his favorite hymn, which is Be Still, My Soul. You'll notice that in the first verse, it expresses this desire that we be patient and recognize God's grace through red, blue, or white, happy, sad, glad, or mad, God's grace to us. I invite you to sing with us.
And that's a poignant hymn for me. When I sing it, I think about uh, Bill Pelto and Dorothy Kaminkin and Elsie Tenela. They're all Finnish. And the first church where I was a pastor was an integrated church, both Finnish and Korean. And uh, it was a long story about how that happened. But once a month, because the tune is Finlandia, and to many Finns, an actual um, uh, national anthem for them, once a month we sang this hymn. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For the water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackal shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall Flee away. Here the prophet is being hopeful. Remember, he has been called to be a prophet to a terminal people. Terminal patient. They're going to be ravaged by the armies to their east. But he lets them know that God holds out a long plan of hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
choir, that has to be by far my favorite rendition of Green Sleeves, and I am so grateful for the way you execute it so beautifully. Our gospel lesson for today is taken from Matthew chapter 11, continues the story of Jesus and that which came before him to prepare the way. I invite you to hear God's word to each one of us. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we supposed to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Didi has a hill and a beautiful portrait prepared emerging before us. And as we are anticipating her revealing to us this third installment, we also, in this third week of Advent, are anticipating many other things, are we not? Think about the family that were on a road trip when suddenly on the drive to Grandma's house, Johnny pipes up from the back seat, Is Santa going to bring me a puppy for Christmas? His parents up front glance at one another amusedly and say, Well, Johnny, you certainly have been a good boy this year. We, we hear from your teacher that you're doing very well with your reading, your writing, and your arithmetic. We see that you're being very kind to your grandparents and to your sometimes troublesome little sister and to your neighbors and friends around you. And we have noticed that you do a marvelous job of listening to us. Johnny smiled, scratched his head, said, Thanks, I think. But am I going to have a puppy? (laughs) Did you catch the parents' ambiguous answer? Their response was about as direct as the ambiguous answer that Jesus gave to John's disciple when they came and asked him, are you the one who is to come, or are we supposed to wait for some other, guy, some other guy? Jesus replies, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are brought good news. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Now the psalmist in Isaiah distant from the arrival of a Savior, are certain of his coming and exuberant in their hope. 
James and Matthew, on the other hand, as we have heard, living many years later in difficult times and experiencing fear and uncertainty, counsel instead patient endurance. As Christians, we're invited to embrace both these realities, to believe joyfully that Jesus is present and wishes for us the very best, but at the same time to understand that with our human experience, like that of Mary and Joseph on their way to Nazareth and to Bethlehem, that experience is going to present us with choices and challenges. The journey is not easy, the outcome is uncertain, and it requires of us faith, persistence, and above all, patience. And patience is what I'm going to talk with us about today. Advent is pregnant with expectation. We hear it in Mary's voice as she sings the portion of Luke's text that we know as the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We expect so much in this Advent season of ourselves, of our loved ones, and of the world around us. And our expectations are often way out of whack with reality. We're thinking about some storybook or mythological Courier and Ives level of perfection that is far from realistic. Whose life is neatly wrapped up and tied with a bow? To make matters worse, we live in an age of instant gratification, from fast food to fast data, and we are increasingly unwilling to abide with ambiguity. It's why we have people at Disney World who are willing to shell out the big bucks to have a pass that allows them to skip the line at It's a Small World. It's also why we have people who are willing to pay extra for same-day delivery. We've come to expect certainty and resolution so quickly that researchers have found that people can't wait more than a few seconds for a video to load on any one of our electronic devices. They abandon it if it takes too long. The Pew Research Center's Internet and American Life Project sums up a recent study about people under the age of 35 and the dangers of their hyper-connected lives with what sounds like a prescription drug warning. Warning, negative effects include a need for instant gratification and a loss of patience. You and I know the proverbial saying, patience is a virtue, right? But what do we mean by this patience? Well, we can think of it as there being two kinds of patience, one that adds to our skills and another that adds to our sanity. First, adding to our skills. You know the motto, practice makes perfect. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 right. Well, the woodcarver works hard to finish the furniture. The jeweler repairs a broken clasp and resets a ring. The quilter or the knitter works painstakingly to make a personal gift. The accountant runs trial balances and makes certain of accuracy. The student repeats and memorizes math tables, grammatical declinations, foreign languages. The musician repeats arpeggios and sounding joys. The golf pro empties buckets of balls. The hockey, soccer, lacrosse, and tennis players skate, shoot, throw, and hit into nets. All these skills require the patience of practice. If we don't do something regularly or long enough, we convince ourselves we're not good at a growing list of things. The piano never gets learned. The athletic competition is never won. And if we aren't patient with our practice skills, 
We can deprive ourselves of the joy of a creative endeavor and the friendships that we might make along the way while we're doing it. We never discover and express the artist, athlete, or scientist that God created within each one of us to be. Now that's the first kind of patience that comes with practice. The second kind of patience is not just skill-based, but adds to our sanity. And this patience comes from waiting when one is powerless to change an ambiguous situation. Think about several. For example, getting that first job and finding that you are competing with others who are equally talented and you're not making as much progress as quickly as you thought you ought to have. Or finding the, the one person that you think shares everything that you want in life, but discovering that you still have some major differences. Or learning that someone that you love has a complicated illness that may or may not resolve itself very soon or very easily. Or finding that your teenager seems dead set against doing their homework, completing their chores, or getting to bed on time. Sanity-saving patience is a life skill. When uncertainty and ambiguity confront us, if we respond with anxiety and fear, we might take the wrong action too soon just to get it out of the way. We might become disenchanted with that first job and never find a satisfying career. We might blame our partner as being thick-headed and lose out on what would have been a remarkable relationship. We might waste the last days with a loved one arguing over the treatment plan that the physicians have come up with rather than taking the time to sit with that loved one and celebrate their life for as long as we might have them. Or we may erode a child's sense of confidence and being appreciated and loved so that that child goes seeking the approval of others all throughout their lives. Impatience, my friends, is the seedbed of despair. This despair looks back and sees nothing. This despair looks forward and says, never, not going to happen. Patience, on the other hand, is the seedbed of hope. Patience looks back and sees God's providence guiding us, perhaps protecting us from a worse circumstance. Patience looks forward and trusts that God, who has been with us in the past, will be again with us in the future. And most importantly, patiently, patience sees the present as this glorious joy of becoming God, who God made us to be. Jesus was patient with his disciples, with John's disciples, with the crowds that followed him, and we, the crowds who follow him in the scriptural attestation about his life. You know this, the disciples were sometimes thick-headed, lazy, selfish, and slow to believe. Even from a merely human standpoint, we can see how frustrating this might have been for Jesus. Despite Jesus' miracles and words of wisdom, the disciples were focused upon themselves and wavered even in their belief as to who Jesus was. Yet do we find him railing against their stupidity or making fun of them when they make mistakes? No. 
Notice that Jesus' refusal to complain about his irritating disciples can be described as an exercise in self-control. Surely he would have been justified in blistering insults. After all, his omniscience guaranteed that he had every possible joke and embarrassing remark at his disposal at any occasion. And this makes it even more remarkable to think about the level of his self-control. His refusal to complain also involves humility, as we have reflected in our windows up here. The conscious decision to lower himself, to empty himself, by not exercising his right as the holy man he was to judge and dismiss his friends because of their faults. How many of us have known friends who found it easier to critique what we were doing so that they could make an excuse for shutting us out of their lives? How sad is that? We might even say that Jesus' choice was a form of mercy. Jesus' refusal to complain about his disciples is also generous. Even with their vice and thick-headedness, he remained no less committed to them and served them increasingly as their failures became more outstanding. Occasionally, he does remark that his disciples are slow to believe, or he asks rhetorically, how long will it take you to have faith? But these are always appropriate reminders about just what was at stake for them and the capability that they have, always have, to respond well. Now, what would the situations that I described earlier look like if we responded with the kind of patience that Jesus models? Take, for example, the young professional who was disillusioned. What if that young professional were to find a mentor who helps hone his or her skills to contribute to the enterprise and thereby accept growing responsibilities? Or the person who has major differences with a possible life partner. Perhaps they explore those areas of disagreement and lo and behold, they find that they have more common ground upon which they can stand together. Or the caregiver of somebody with a complicated illness could utilize a network of resources to sustain that person's compassionate care and maintain the loved one's dignity without wearing out the caregiver. Or finally, the parent, that frustrated parent, offers tools, boundaries, and frees the teenager to experience natural consequences until the teenager is readied and motivated to improve one's own choices. Father Henri Nouwen writes, Patience is not waiting passively until someone else does something. Patience asks us to live in the moment to the fullest, to be completely present, to taste the here and now, to be where we are. When we are impatient, we try to get away from where we are. We behave as if the real thing will happen tomorrow, later, somewhere else. Be patient and trust, Nowen says, that the treasure you are looking for is hidden on the ground which you stand. My friends, thriving rather than merely surviving requires patience, not only with the Lord who will return at God's unknown time, but also with each other, lest we destroy the community that holds us up while we are waiting together. Advent is of its very nature 
a time of uncertainty and ambiguity taking place this year in an uncertain and ambiguous world. Our human response understandably could include unease, fear, and impatience. We find it difficult to wait. We're tempted to fall into despair. The French word there is désespoir, and it is the exact opposite of espoir, which is the French word for hope. We could weaken that ability to hope when we fall into despair. But I assure you, as we heard this morning, Scripture offers us a better path. And so my invitation to each one of us for this third Sunday of Advent and indeed every moment that we prepare to receive the Christ child into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives lived out in mission. Let's use this Advent season to practice the virtue of patience that's modeled in Scripture so that we might better find our way in a confusing, ambiguous environment and restore hope to those around us as we await the coming of the Christ child. And who knows? Johnny might just get that puppy, too. Thank you, Carrie, for the message about patience. As we bring our gifts and offerings and ourselves before God, let us use this prayer. We offer ourselves, O God, as messengers of peace and goodwill, where war threatens and strife is real. We seek by grace to demonstrate your reconciling love. When hostilities persist and your people are alienated, our gift is Christ's promise of intercession and accord. May our words be combined with commitment to act and our actions conform to your abiding desire. Amen.
Please be seated, friends. Well, we certainly have beautiful flowers in the chancel. Janet, we thank you for the love that they are inspired by, and we do remember and miss David right along with you. Beautifully done. Thank you. We also give thanks and praise for answered prayer. You might know of Pat Keller's having been short of breath for several weeks. She was hospitalized earlier this week, and while she was there, they were able to discern what might help. A stent was put in. She seems to be breathing a little bit better. So please keep up the prayers for Pat and for Bo. We're also joining with the Lake family in praying for Jean Christopher, Matt's grandmother, who's hospitalized with a pneumonia and another infection that they can't diagnose yet. May physicians come to her aid quickly with answers. And we're also in prayer for Sensei Schoenfeld at Faust Karate, who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. And we're quite confident that her team is also on this early to take care of it. We also found in the Brighton Pittsford Post this week a little notice about Ed Kinnon. You all might remember Ed and Ellen, who moved several years ago to be in Massachusetts with their family. Ed has been honored with the Parisian Légion d'Honneur, the Legion of Honor, which is the highest civilian award that can be given to somebody for military or civic duty. And so we rejoice with the Kinnons. Friends, please pray with me. Gracious God, you caused new life to spring forth in the desert, and that which was barren to yield. By your will, waters cascade in dry places, and rushing torrents subside to a flow. Go before us and show us your will for our lives. As in the days of Israel, give us signs of your way, be it a cloud by day and a fire by night, or a babe pointing us to hope. That babe walked the path that we must walk and was obedient. He was tempted, yet did not submit. He taught us how to temper your judgment with mercy, and we pray for a measure of patience as you wait at the doors of your kingdom to welcome us. You're a generous God who gives in abundance. Help us to make straight the highway before us as we pray as Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, this is Gaudet Sunday, Joy Sunday. Let's sing verses 1 and 4 of Joy to the World. Verses 1 and 4.
friends, I invite you to go out into the world with that purple, that pink, that white, that mad, sad, and glad that says, God is with us, Emmanuel, and shout it from the rooftops and share it with a world that needs to know it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.